Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of the program. I say this every week, but why not say it again? We have a great program lined up because we really do. Uh, we have two main guests today. One is by the name of Sam Kaplan, and he was the director of global trade in the Seattle area, and now he's involved with Trade and Development Alliance. What we're going to talk about today, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. I'm sure people are watching the impeachment hearings right now, and they want to throw their shoe at the TV. Either way, I have my opinion on that, but I'm certainly not going to talk about that today. But back to the doom and gloom. There is some very good news, what's happening in the world economically in many countries. And uh, Sam Kaplan has a newsletter he puts out once every week or so, And uh, he talks about worldwide issues. He's got a great deal of experience in this area. And one that caught my eye recently was uh, captivated by what he talked about in terms of what the world looked like in 1950 and what it looks like right now in 2020. And actually, things are going pretty well. So stick around for Sam Kaplan. Then we have Art Teal, and uh, he is the co-founder of Sports Press Northwest, He has been a sports columnist in the Seattle area for many, many years. Candidly, we have a lot of great sports writers in this area, but two of my favorites have been Art Teal and also Larry Stone. I think they're really the best of the best uh, in this area. And uh, we're going to talk about the sign-stealing controversy that's been plaguing baseball over the last week. It's almost like I was talking to Art today going, that's like so last week, let's move on. But then I said I want to expand our discussion maybe in looking at athletics and how people have these sorts of things occur, the cheating, the scandals. Well, does that go into what we're dealing today in the body politic or in, um, let's say, in the business world? Do people really care? And that's a legitimate question. We're going to explore that, and that will be coming up um, in just a few moments. Art will follow Sam. What Voices of Experience is about, we talk with people with experience in their life, and I certainly think you can see that today. We do so in public affairs, trade, sports, travel, health, and an emphasis on entrepreneurship. You can go to self-employment quiz and take that quiz about self-employment. You can go to voicesofexperience.net, excuse me, voicesofexperience.com. And uh, you can take the quiz. It takes about five minutes. And the higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. For example, one of the questions I have on the quiz, um, can you execute what you set out to do in your life? If you're thinking about self-employment, well, you're working for maybe a company now or you're in college. You study, sit down and get it done and uh, not just think about it and procrastinate. Or if you're an employee somewhere, are you the one who gets your job done and do it without having someone looking over your shoulder. If you can say yes to that, what I submit is your success or potential success in self-employment is very high. So anyhow, that's uh, what you would uh, be able to do if you took the self-employment quiz. And again, you can take that on uh, VoicesOfExperience.com. So back with my interview with San Kaplan in just a moment. I want to restore our recognition of who we are and why we are the way we are and what we stand for. And I I think more and more that as important as grade school, high school, 
college, university, advanced degrees, all of that is, and it's essential. That maybe is as important as any of it is how we are brought up at home. How were we raised to behave about telling the truth, for example, or treating people with kindness, tolerance, um, empathy, and hard work. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where people not only worked hard, but if you were a hard, good worker, that counted high in how you were appreciated by other people. I remember my father used to say, oh, Charlie, he, he drinks too much, but he's a good worker. Or Fred, he, he ha he's a terrible exaggerator and tells stories that I don't quite believe, but, but he's a good worker. And if you were a good worker, that forgave all other failings in effect. And that's what we, how we got to where we are by working very, very hard. When I was doing my Wright Brothers book, they're two young men who never had the chance to go to college, never even finished high school. But they were brought up to have purpose in life. They were brought up with values at home to learn to use the English language on your feet and on paper so that you read their letters that have survived in the Library of Congress. And it's, they're, they're humbling in the in the, the quality of their vocabulary, their, their capacity to express themselves um, superbly, and uh, and never to boast about yourself, never to get too big for your britches. One of the things I so impressed me at the time, and it impresses me even more, given the situation we're in now, is that John Kennedy almost never talked about himself. Imagine. As you say, didn't use the first person singular. No, no. Almost never used the first person singular about anything. A man who could have gone on and on, to say the least, with justification and pride of what he'd accomplished. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. That was David McCullough, the author of great books. And uh, boy, doesn't he have a great voice. I mean, he was the one who narrated the Civil War, Ken Burns series, and many others. But uh, anyhow, talking about parents and how important that is. And sometimes I think we ignore that as to where you're born has a lot to do how you're going to turn out. So uh, I thought he made some very good points on that. Sam Kaplan, as I mentioned a few moments ago, is with us, and um, we were just chatting just before he got, uh, we're going to talk to him now, but anyhow, wanted to ask him, like today, he was at the Japanese consulate, and I think it'll give a good background as to who he is and what he does, and asking him what he was doing there. Sam? Hi, yeah, thanks. Uh, I was indeed at the Japanese consulate with the president of Highline College, uh, who's headed to Japan in March, and I'll be going with him uh, and the Consul General was very kind to uh, meet with us. I, I run something called the Center of Global Trade and Supply Chain Management, which is located at Highline College, but works with colleges and industry all over the state uh, around uh, workforce development issues for the uh, global trade and supply chain industry. 
Uh, so we were meeting with the Consul General to prepare for the trip to Japan in March. Oh, that sounds exciting. Um, so you, know, you meet with a lot of consulates here locally and part of your work? Uh, I have uh, over the years, yeah. There's uh, there's many different consulates uh, here. There's a number of official consulates with full-time paid staff, and there are many also what they're called honorary consuls, who are uh, consuls without full, full-time staff but uh, do all sorts of consul activities. And some of the honorary consuls are some of the busiest people you know doing all sorts of work for their countries and for the United States. How many consul- consulates do we have in the Seattle area? I'm going to get this wrong, but I think uh, uh, it, when you include honorary consulates, it's, it's more than two dozen, I believe. Okay. For official consulates uh, with actual paid staff, I want to say it's five or six consulates. And not to put it on the spot, just some examples of the paid staff consulates, the five or six. Sure. So there's uh, Japan, uh, where I was earlier today, uh, Canada, uh, South Korea, uh, Mexico, and uh, a couple others. Do you think Seattle, with all the growth it's had over the last decade or so, has it propped up and become much more of an international city? Uh, yeah, I could I could even quantify it uh, from previous work I've done. Maybe uh, over a little over a decade ago, probably 33% of jobs in Washington State were tied to international trade in one way or another. And today it's about 40% of jobs are tied to international trade. That's both exports and imports and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's become even more important, certainly the rise of Amazon, uh, and especially it's, it's uh, AWS, the Amazon Web Services, which is all over the world, has become important. Uh, obviously, Boeing, Microsoft, which is all over the world, Starbucks, all these uh, big-name companies are, are huge to our local economy. Certainly. Well, um, I get your newsletter, and I've been getting it now for a couple of years, and I really enjoy it. I mean, your writing is wonderful, and uh, it really, you know, summarizes some very complicated issues and are very upbeat, I find, uh, easy to read for, let's say, someone like me who is interested in public affairs but doesn't do the deep dive. And you do a great job of explaining whatever the subject is. And one of the things that I have read recently in one of your newsletters and it really captured my attention, is that 2020 is better than 1950. And I would guess that if you said that to a lot of people today, that they wouldn't believe that. What do you mean it's better? Because we are so divided now, as you know. Uh, We have so many gloom and doomers out there. But when you step back sometimes and look at the world the way it was, let's say, in 1950, supposedly the great time in America, I guess. Well, it was in America, I guess, after post-World War II. But the rest of the world, it certainly wasn't. And you really had some information that I thought was valuable for people to hear. And one of the things you said, that the average person in the world today now earns 4.4 times what they did in 1950. So elaborate on that. Why do you think things beyond that, the obvious there, are so much better today. Sure, and, and thanks for the, the kind compliments on my newsletter. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, there's no doubt that in most parts of the world, including the United States, things are better today than they were in 1950. Uh, so the absolute poverty rate in the world has gone way down. More people have risen out of poverty in the last 40 years than at any time in human history, hundreds of millions of people. Uh, more people have access to electricity than they used to. More people have access to clean drinking water, 
Uh, as you talk about the economies, or, uh, almost all economies have grown since 1950. Uh, and it's true in, in America as well. Uh, the poverty rate has gone down tremendously in the United States over the last 40 years. Um, there's still racial disparities, but it's also gone down for, for blacks as well. Uh, so it's, uh, it, the world is just a much better place than it was 50 years ago. There's certainly challenges for the future. There's challenges for today. Uh, but I, I sometimes think we forget how good things have done over the last 50 years, how much we've accomplished. Um, and even around the big challenges that we face, like uh, climate change, uh, which is a huge challenge, but we are producing uh, more things with less less electricity, with less power. So even there, there's some signs of hope, especially if we become smart with our policy and with our investments, uh, we can hopefully uh, conquer that challenge as well. You mentioned that uh, Taiwan, the average income was $1,400 a year in 1950, and now I would not have known this, that Taiwan is one of the most richest countries in the world now. Absolutely, yeah. Taiwan's been hugely successful. It's one of the original Asian tigers, along with uh, South Korea, uh, Hong Kong, and Singapore. And Taiwan's been a huge success story. It's also a great example uh, for people who argue that uh, mainland China can only become rich by having an authoritarian government. But Taiwan had an authoritarian government, uh, and then it slowly democratized and liberalized over the decades, and, and now you know, in the 19, early 1990s, it became a fully functioning democracy and continued to have rapid economic growth and is a hugely successful country uh, in the world today. Uh, in fact, in many ways, it's more liberal than, than lots of countries. And a lot of people probably don't know that it was a leader in having a gay marriage and, and other progressive issues that, that some people um, might favor. So, yeah, t- Taiwan's a great success story. No, I wouldn't have guessed that. Now, you do have some uh, caution, though. You said there are nine countries, and uh, you had something actually in this week's um, newsletter about South Africa getting poor. Yeah, uh, and there certainly are some places where there's challenges. Yeah, there are nine countries that have not grown since 1950. Uh, there's places like Zimbabwe. Mo- most of the places are, are places with had difficult governments like Zimbabwe, uh, Afghanistan, where you've had both difficult governments and multiple uh, wars. Uh, so there are, there are some um, difficult places. South Africa has grown since 1950, but in the last uh, four years, its economy has actually shrunk, uh, both uh, total GDP and GDP per capita. So there, there are some places that, unfortunately, are not doing as well for a variety of reasons. In most of the cases where, the, where the, it has not grown since 1950, it's a combination of horrific governments and uh, multiple wars. The bad news is that we have to go. The good news is that I want you to talk about your newsletter and how someone can get a hold of it. Oh, sure. Thanks. Yeah, it's the international need to know. Uh, if you email me at samk at getusglobal.com, getus, G-I-T-T-E-S, global.com, I'll add you to the list. Or if you just uh, Google search or Bing search, international need to know Sam Kaplan, you can find it and sign up on your own. Great. That is wonderful. I urge anyone to do that because uh, it is fascinating and it's got always really great information. Sam, again, I hate to run, but um, we'll do this again sooner than later. Look forward to it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you.
So that was Sam Kaplan. So we got Art Teal coming up in just a few moments, and uh, we'll take a little break here. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. As promised, Art Teal has joined us, and uh, he is the co-founder of Sports Press Northwest. He also wrote a breakthrough book about the Seattle Mariners, and people have said that it's the best book ever written about the Seattle Mariners. And it was written in 2003, but it's still current because the Mariners have not made the playoffs since that time. So uh, you can still go back and read about some of the golden times, too, as well as the struggles of the franchise. And I was at the... Well, I can't say the opening game. That would be untrue. I was at the second game of the Mariners, but I was at the opening game of the Seattle Pilots, and Art and I have talked about that before. But um, really a, a very good book and talks about how the Mariners really struggled. I am here. Town. Oh, you're on. Okay. I am. So, all right. Have you just heard my long-winded introduction of you? I did, yes. It was okay. wonderful. I, uh, I had the checks in the mail. Okay, good. You make it out. Paul E. Casey. Don't forget the E. <laughs> Right. Hey, thank you, Art, for being here. And um, you mentioned you were going to be writing another book the last time I interviewed you. And have you uh, any updates on that? Well, uh, there probably is. But I, I, if I speak it, something will happen and it will go away. So I do okay. not want to curse it by uh, getting getting out over my skis, I you say, in the literary world. <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, we were going to talk last week and now into this week about uh, really the, you know, scandal that we talk about, the stealing of signals. And um, first of all, I read your column on it. And again, it was very well done. And uh, what the thing that I wanted to ask in the outset is that in the beginning, well, actually in the past, is I've heard this signal stealing for a long time. And we all know that you know, the runner on second base would steal signals and that'd be an advantage and all that. Sometimes there'd be spitballs and all this. And I also heard there was some electronic surveillance, and I thought it was the Red Sox or something like that, maybe four or five years ago. And all of a sudden, boom, this thing just absolutely explodes. So what's your take on that in terms of why did this turn into an issue? There's always been kind of this cheating, but what's different about this? than stealing signs before? Well, it's kind of a, a bit of a long story, but I'll try to condense it here. Uh, you're right. Uh, signal stealing in baseball goes back, I think, the first recorded instance was 1899. Um, and it, there's a long history of um, what I would call manual or analog stealing, where people are uh, in the bleachers or out in the scoreboard, and they're signaling either to the dugout or to the runners on base to signal to the batter what pitch is coming. And uh, it's a long history, but to get more current, what you were referring to about an earlier episode was in 2017 when Commissioner Rob Manfred uh, scolded the Red Sox and the Astros for uh, doing exactly what they did this time, which is using technology, video cameras, um, and signals to uh, give a batter a heads up, whether it's a fastball or breaking pitch. 
And uh, so even after he warned these two clubs and sent out a letter to all 30 baseball teams saying, don't use technology to do this. He's not stopping the runner on second base from seeing the signal that the catcher is signaling and, um, and telling the batter. But he is banning electronic uh, aids to do this, and he specifically was banning the Astros, who won the, la- who won the 2017 World Series, from using these technological ways to signal the batter through the use of banging on a garbage can. That's now that's high tech. Yeah, that's that's real analog right there. So um, that was the plan, um, and the um, uh, what what happened was enough. Uh, a, a player basically ratted out a Houston Astros former player, ratted out the the system, and uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred punished uh, everyone. And it caused a big scandal because a lot of clubs have been doing this, uh, or some version of it, although the Mariners say they have it. The Mariners are not good enough to care about winning games like that, so they're out of the discussion. But so you're saying that the Mariners would have like been 18-1 and one against Houston last year <laughs> if because uh, it was 18-1 and one the opposite way if they could right. steal those right. signals. Okay. So anyway, it's yeah. been a, a problem, but uh, the technology thing has ratcheted it up and Manfred's trying to stop it, but he did it by, uh, by suspending managers and uh, and fining the clubs and taking away draft choices, but he didn't find any players, even though the players were the perpetrators. So that kind of got my bloomers in a bunch, and I thought, well, if you're going to stop this rampant cheating, you've got to make the players pay for it. But so far, nothing. You know, what I find fascinating about this is like conspiracy theories or if there's a lot of people involved in these sorts of things, how do they ever think this is not going to come out at some point? I mean, someone goes to another team, they get mad because they got cut or whatever. When you bring more than one or two people max into something and you want to do something somewhat devious, if you bring this many people in, it's going to come out. Well, yeah, I, I, that's all, something I've always thought, and that's certainly how I think things are going to play out on our national political level, and uh, that's what's going to happen uh, here in baseball. It was inevitable that somebody would say, you know, whether it's an attack of conscience or trying to win the game that you know they're playing or whatever, um, it's going to come out. But the ruthless desire to uh, win games and make money and get profile and all those sorts of things uh, really does overwhelm better judgment. And uh, the younger the player, the more foolish they are. But that uh, that doesn't mean that the older players aren't as uh, uh, deviant as the younger guys. It's uh, it's really a foolishness that it should have stopped long ago. But um, the urge to win in America is a big deal. Well, we talked about that a little bit uh, about when you talk about, and we were saying, is this a much to do about nothing? Do Do the... Does the public really care about this? I mean, will they stay away from the game? This is not a Black Sox thing or, you know, whatever, from, what, 1920 or something, or 1919 Chicago Black Sox. Nothing on that scale. And I have the cynical feeling is that this will be yesterday's news in about two weeks. And uh, because there is so much, and I don't want to be all negative here. I just had a very positive interview about on the outlook in the world. And now on this, is just that, People are corrupt, and, you know, they see the political system, they see this, and they kind of go, well, what's new? What's the problem? Well, that's true. There is 
that um, uh, element of it. And this isn't entertainment. This is not, you know, really national security issues or anything like that. Um, and and people are pretty jaded now. But I, 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 um, I have what I call the uh, my measure for this sort of thing is I call it the Lance Armstrong syndrome. The um, the famous cyclist who for years and years lied about how much he cheated, finally got caught and admitted that he'd been lying for years and years. And so I would ask anybody who wonders about, you know, what a, how big a deal this is, I, I ask them, so what do you think about, when you think about international cycling, road racing, uh, high-end, top of the deep competition, and they'll say Lance Armstrong, and they all cheat. Well, that's the consequence of this cynicism we have about, well, everybody does it. It creates a toxicity that ruins the game. You know, and, it, and it's not one episode or five episodes, but the cumulative effect of cheating to win, I think, is toxic to the culture. Uh, it's a subtle thing. It's not something that, you know, you're going to see uh, in any one game or any one episode or one season. But over time, if you can't believe the game outcomes, uh, are honest and fair, then, um, you know, why bother? Why go? You know, it's, it's like uh, reality television or pro wrestling. You know, everything is rehearsed and done uh, for entertainment, but there's no legitimate uh, mystery about the outcome. Certainly. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it's, it's a, it is, there's a consequence to it, but the, with each time we roll our eyes and dismiss it as no big deal, it adds another layer of corruption and contempt. Very good point, Art. That's very well said. Do you think the penalties were enough? No. I think they should have punished the players. Um, I think um, that was a slap on the wrist. If you ask most baseball fans, we'll say, would you, in order to, if you were to say you can win a World Series title, but you have to fire your manager, you have to uh, pay a fine, and you have to give up some draft choice. 101 out of 100 fans would say, yes, do it. Mm. Uh, but if you said Jose Altuve, the star for the Astros, uh, was guilty, and, and you took him out of the game, then people would be upset. Then it would make a difference. Certainly. And that's what I think needs to happen. Players have to pay. We have to go in just a moment. you are uh, like to see get Sports uh, Northwest, excuse me, Sports Press Northwest. How do people access that? Yeah, just uh, your basic URL is sportspressnw.com. And I'm also uh, catchable on Twitter at art underscore teal, T-H-I-E-L. So direct them that way, and I'll be thrilled and honored to be your friend. All right, there you go. We'll leave it with that. Art Teal, thank you very much. And as I said, it's been a pleasure reading you over the years and looking forward to reading more. Thanks, Paul. Enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, Art. So anyhow, that's Art Teal, and uh, we're about wound up here. we got one minute to go, so um, two wonderful guests today. I really enjoyed that very much. And I'll tell you, the time does go very, very quickly. So uh, again, if you just uh, tuned in, just to let you know, my name is Paul Casey, and you've been listening to Voices of Experience. We'll be back next week with another show, and uh, we're going to have Bill Cahill on, and he is the founder of Beacon Plumbing. Stop freaking, call Beacon. Fascinating guy, just like the two today. Larry Coffin, the uh, marketing 
uh, Northwest uh, publisher, and Michael Hebe, Judges for Justice. My name is Paul Casey. Have a great rest of the week. 